0: We did do our discussion last week. If there's anything that you wanted to discuss from last week, we can certainly uh, talk about that. I was also wanting to do a little bit of a QA and a at the beginning, if there's any questions that you had, either from last Sunday morning or this Sunday morning, so either from chapter 26 or 27, any questions or any things that you wanted to, to bring up from either of those two passages before we go into our um, sheet. sheep. Uh, I guess we did get into 28 a little bit. Let me just preface it by saying this. Chapter 26, we talked about this idea that because of God's faithfulness, there is the possibility of abiding even when wandering. That was Isaac's experience. That's ours to a certain extent as well. So that was kind of the big idea, but there was a lot of other points that we went through. What's your thought from 28, Bob?
1: So when we were talking about it this afternoon, the question came up about Esau marrying uh, the daughter of Ishmael. Ishmael.
0: So, there's at least one commentary that I was looking at that took it the way that you were just saying, that it was him still trying to win favor with Isaac, even though it was too late. Uh, The question that we would have, though, is Ishmael was as much of an outcast with regard to the promise as Esau was. So, it would seem like that's not going to actually help, even if that was his goal. So... What did you guys end up thinking? Did you think it was a good thing he was trying to do or, uh, or just trying to like, oh, they've done it, I'm just going to make it worse kind of thing? Uh, I
1: looked at it more of the latter. Okay. Uh, like you said, because Ishmael was an outcast, now he is taking the role of the outcast. Not
0: partial obedience, is still disobedience. obedience. Sure. Jonathan, you had a thought on that?
2: Sure. Sure.
0: Jared, do you have something?
2: Right. Yeah.
0: And, and there is the question of what Hebrews means when it says that there was no way of repentance found for him when he sought it with tears. Was that specifically his pleading with Isaac that we saw in chapter 27, or did it extend even to some of these kinds of things? And I don't know for sure, but that's certainly something to think more about. Mike?
2: Uh, when it says in 35, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. hmm.
0: Yeah, I think... I think that the grief came after he had married them. Um, So, I mean, certainly we're acquainted with people who have married someone against their their parents' wishes, and that fact of the rejection of the parents' input in their lives certainly can bring a great deal of grief and frustration. Obviously, there's something more than that going on here, because by doing this, he's sort of continuing down this path that shows that he's not the one worthy to be the heir. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's. I think we don't really know if they said to him beforehand, don't do this, or if it's just they were really frustrated after the fact. But I mean, in cases where I know of where this has happened, generally there's been input from the parents that's been rejected by the children. There's been a measure of grief before and after, but the text emphasizes the after part, I think. Any other questions from these chapters that maybe aren't on the sheet yet? Yeah, yeah, and, and there's, there's some of these things that I think the text doesn't specifically say, but I think it's pretty strongly implied. I mean, it's, yeah, it doesn't say, and, and Isaac told Esau and Jacob everything that Abraham had done, but there's a pretty strong sense that he would they would have been aware of the important events. That would have been one of the very important ones, so. Any other questions from these, either last week's chapter or this week's section? All right, we'll move on to the sheet that we have in front of us. Why are the wives of Esau mentioned in these sections and what do they reveal about Esau's spiritual state? So first of all, why does it go in, why is it mentioned that he married these people? Maybe one of the kids can answer this. Why would it tell us that Esau married women from a particular nation?
1: Okay. I think
0: that's that's one of the big things. So then, the second part of the question: What does that then show about his attitude toward God, his spiritual state, that kind of thing? I mean, he seemed like he didn't really care about, I mean, it's more than just like this is the family business. It's like God has said there's going to be someone to carry on this blessing that comes through Abraham and then through Isaac, and then who's going to be the next person? And Esau seems like he doesn't care about that, which is a pretty big deal as far as him not wanting to do that. The description of the Canaanites in Genesis 26, where it says, we see plainly and specifically that they saw that Isaac was the blessed of the Lord. Do you feel like, and, and I argue that there is, but do you, do you agree that you feel like there's a contrast between their recognition of Isaac as the one that, that is blessed by God uh, in contrast to Isaac's seeming blindness about who should be the one blessed by God at the beginning of the next chapter? What do you all think? Yeah. I, I guess I probably a better way to say it would be his physical blindness... Was highlighted in the context of his spiritual dullness or, or lack of insight, something like that. Yes? Right.
1: You know I, mean? yeah. like, I used to have a very high opinion of Isaac. Right. Now I think he's a schmuck like the rest of us.
0: <laughs> and did he start out well? I mean, in chapter 26, he seems like he's starting out well, right? And he lives half of his life or more, seemingly following God, everything's on the right path, all those sorts of things. And then we get to the beginning of this chapter and things sort of go downhill. So, I mean, that's probably lessons to be learned there as well for not thinking that we've arrived when we're not there yet. I mean, there's a little bit of that sense. I mean, but was that kind of selfish of him, you think? Okay, that's a good point I hadn't thought of. Yeah, Jonathan. Um, Any other thoughts on that question before we move on to the next one? Yes, go ahead. it's not an unreasonable thing to think. Um, It definitely seems that he's holding out hope probably beyond the point that was reasonable, that Esau could still be the one. But think about that with regard to Abraham. How many times did Abraham say, but what about Ishmael? But maybe Ishmael, but he could be the one. And God has said to him several times, no, wait for the son I'm going to give to you. And then when that wasn't clear, God said, wait for the son I'm going to give to you and Sarah. And then when Isaac is born, he says, and the one that I'm going to bless is Isaac. So, I mean, God has to do the same sort of thing with Abraham, too. So it's not an unreasonable thing to think that something of Abraham's attitude toward Ishmael rubbed off on Isaac with regard to how he's treating Esau and sort of hoping, yeah, maybe, maybe he could be the one that God's going to use. Maybe he could be the heir, even though it seems pretty clear that he's not supposed to be. That's a a good thing to think about. Anything else on that one? So number three, why did Isaac show favoritism toward Esau, even knowing the kind of person that Esau was? Yes. Okay, yeah. So he got what he wanted, so he was willing to overlook the problems with Esau. Problems that, Potentially, if we're, what we're saying here in the last few minutes is true, his own character defects got passed on to Isaac by way of example. The desire for things that taste good, feel good, that I want. Now his son is acting the same way. And rather than reproving him and saying it shouldn't be this way, or God's not pleased with this, He's taking advantage of Esau, right? Think about the parallel to Eli that, we're gonna, that you see later in the, in the Old Testament. Eli knows that his sons are doing wrong. They're committing adultery. They're stealing food from the priests in the, in the meeting place there. And he doesn't do anything about it. And at one, one glance, we're like, oh, but that's because he loves his sons so much. But it probably had more to do with he's gonna lose something, there's some measure of fear of what's going to happen if he does the right thing that I think was driving him in that story and I think maybe is driving Esau in this story too, right? I was looking at the application questions and we can certainly go through them when we we get to that point. I was wondering if I made them a little bit too specific because I remember sometimes I've read application questions that are really specific and then I don't wanna share them with everybody in the group. So let me pause here and do a little bit of an application question from this one. What things could you want someone else to get for you or do for you that would then make you ignore the fact that they have a lot of other problems going on? What are some things that you might want someone to get for you or do for you? Okay, so you want money, and maybe you say, I'm going to uh, work with this person, uh, stay close to this person, whatever else, even though you know maybe they're getting the money by lying or cheating or stealing. Something like that, maybe? Okay. What are some other things that we might want from people and then show favoritism because they will keep giving us those things, even though we really should probably confront them about some kind of problem? other examples come to mind you want money yes what's that explain that a little bit further okay Yeah, well, to jump off of both of those things, um, I had a yellow lab growing up a dog, and she was a great dog. And one of the reasons she was a great dog was because, like most dogs, if I was supposed to come in after 10 minutes, she didn't remind me I was supposed to come in after 10 minutes. She'd wander around the yard all day with me. And um, so my mom and I had this conversation on more than one occasion that the great thing about dogs... Why they might be man's best friend is because they'll never tell you that what you're doing is wrong. They'll just jump right in and do it with you, you know? And I think that gets at some of what you guys are saying. If somebody's, you know, you're fine, then we're tempted to say, and you're fine too, and, and not not address the sin that's going on. Any other things that we might want people to do for us or that we might get from people that would make us act the same way that Isaac did toward Esau? Jonathan? Okay. Yeah. So I'm lonely, but you know, this person's willing to spend time with me, so I won't do anything to, to lose that. Uh, we talked about that a little bit briefly this morning, right? If, if Isaac had blessed Jacob instead of Esau and been upfront about it, Esau probably would have been mad at his dad for a long time, but he might not have tried to kill his brother. And sometimes we don't want to take that kind of risk. Even knowing it's the right thing to do, we'd rather push it off so that maybe someone else gets the bad effect and we don't have to deal with it. And I think we see from this story that even that fails to accomplish the thing we're trying to do. We end up getting hurt even so. Um, Any other examples of this? or Any other thoughts related to this question? All right, moving on to number four. So we've talked about number one, seems like Esau has bad character. Number two, there were th- indications that he probably wasn't the one that was supposed to be blessed. Number three, Isaac's showing favoritism to Esau in a selfish way to get what he wants. So in light of those three things, should Isaac have tried to bless Esau? Please? Okay. Why? Oh okay. That's fine. That's fine. Anyone else wanna comment on that one?
1: Yes. No. <laughs> okay. Because between the three things, you know, specifically that you laid out this morning, between very women, yeah.
0: were you thinking that I was asking, did he try to bless him even, even in spite of those three things? Okay, yeah, that's fine. And he did try to do it. Like, the text says he does do it, but when we think about should he have done it, probably not. Uh, Jonathan, you have something to add? Okay, go ahead, Brady. Kind of work it out anyway. Okay, that's a possibility. Good. I, I yeah. 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 That's true, Corey. let's talk about that for a minute, because that's a good point of application for us to think about. If we know that God wants something to happen, what is okay for us to do to see it happen, and what is not okay for us to do to see it happen? Let's let's pick something that we know God wants us to do. What's an example of something we know God wants us to do, or something that ought to happen? Reason? Okay, God says you ought to obey your parents i um, trying to think if there's a way to turn that, that particular way. So if God says you're supposed to do that, is there a wh- right way or wrong way to do it, Jerry? Okay. when they cheat to get you into expensive school. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay. Yes. When, when they ask you to do something like a and and
2: you do wait a little bit and then you maybe you stomp off um, the packet.
0: Okay. To do okay. Yeah, there's definitely just flat out I'm I'm not gonna do it. And to Jared's point, I think the thing that I'm trying to get at is the, the wrong way to do something that God says we ought to do is when we do it in a way that God has said is not the right way to do it. That's too wordy. Help me out. Okay. 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 Good. Uh Bob, I think, and then Mike.
1: I was just going to say how about the ends didn't have to defile the B
0: Yeah. Yeah. God can work out and has worked out in scripture a variety of circumstances. That doesn't mean all of... It doesn't mean what Jacob and Rebecca did was okay just because it ended up accomplishing what God wanted. God prevailed despite their sin, not because of their sin. Uh, Mike, you had something?
1: One things I was thinking was God
2: it to be saved to actually have that trust in Jesus Christ and way Sure. Come up with other ways for God. Oh, yes, the hand from above.
0: Good. Yeah, just because God does, wants worship and we offer God worship, we don't have the right to get mad if it's not according to the way that he said we ought to do it. So that's, that's a good point, too. Uh, I don't know who is next. Jared, Jonathan, was one of you guys raising your hand? Okay, go ahead. Which is interesting because he's the one who prays when his wife doesn't have kids. He's the one who's in the field praying, meditating something along those lines when God brings his wife to him. So, I mean, there's really this sense. It seems like he starts out in a more godly fashion than the other two, but we could say like sometimes we struggle with, we can start out well, and then there are things in this world that, like Hebrews says, the the sin and the weights that so easily um distract us something along those lines Braden, so that's a good question if 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 Jake, oh, I'm sorry, if Isaac really only had one blessing to give, then what was it that he gave Esau? Probably be a curse, right? Now there's a little bit of hope at the end, right? You'll serve your brother and then eventually you'll cast him off. We have to ask ourselves, was that him again trying to say I don't want to see Esau stuck this way for the rest of his life, so maybe there's an out for him? Or was he actually speaking God's words? I mean, there is a, uh, one of the commentaries highlights the fact that when Jacob comes back, he's the one that's in the very, like, servant-like posture toward Esau, even though he's in a position of authority and knows that he's the one that God's going to bless. Like, he's really fearful about that, that encounter with Esau, and so it's hard to say, you know, how all those things fit together certainly something to think about. um let's let's think about that for a minute how do, so we've talked about the side of when we're sinning in the way that we're trying to like make God's plan happen, but is there also a way to sin by not doing something God wants us to do Bob you had a thought on that we talked. Sure.
1: but he continued to stay faithful to God and did what was right. So it's hard to say exactly what it is, but I think God does want us to continue to do what is right and stay faithful to him and it'll look out for us.
0: Good. And then if we even bring it even a little bit more practical than that, those are great examples, but even like in our present-day experience, let's say that God says, not let's say, the Bible does say, man should provide for his family. So we could say, Then in the general course of things, God's will for most people is, a guy's gonna grow up, get a job, provide for his future family. So with regard to your question, if you have this idea of what your job is supposed to be, um, you can, going back to the thing about the college admission scandal, lie to get the job that you want. That would be a sinful extreme on this side. You can say, you know what? I know that I need this type of education or this type of training or whatever, but I don't really feel like doing the work, so I'm just going to sit at home in the basement and play video games, or I'm going to hang out with my friends and not ever do the work. That laziness is as much a sin as this ungodly ambition that causes you to sin this way. This causes you to sin over here. And I think the, the biblical balance would be, I have this desire to have this particular type of job, and I know that these are the steps that I need to take between here and there to get to that thing. And so as long as those steps are not sinful, nothing sinful with saying, I'm gonna try to get this particular grade average, I'm going to apply to this particular school, I'm going to pursue this particular degree with the goal of getting this job, could God redirect our steps at any one of those points along the way? Sure. I mean, you could, you could get mono and lose your GPA average in high school. You could apply to the school and they reject you so you don't get into that school. You could mit- check off all the boxes and then that company's not hiring. But you're taking active steps that are steps that are both allowable within God's will and are working toward a goal of something that you know that He wants you to do, which is to have a job provide for your family, But it's neither laziness nor an ungodly, uh, sinful ambition. I don't know if that... So, yes, sure. Good. Number five, just for sake of time, we'll move on there. Why was Jacob a deceitful person? We could probably add to that, as since the point has already been raised. Why was Esau someone who was driven by his physical desires? Please? Okay, yeah. I mean, he's still responsible, right? We choose to sin. And I really wanted to highlight this because... I'm sure there's probably somebody out there, because I've heard the idea float around, that there's this idea of generational sins, like, this person sinned, and so this person's going to sin and this person's going to sin, and it's just like a family thing, because your grandfather stole and your dad stole, now you're going to steal. Part of it's the whole nurture versus nature argument. But part of it is simply the fact of kids learn from their parents' example, and unless. God does work to change that, that bad example is going to keep getting passed down to some degree, right? So, you know, we, we we land on the fact that Jacob was the supplanter, the deceiver, and sometimes we don't think about why he was that way. Partially he was that way in a prophetic sense, because that's the name that was given to him at his birth. Partially he was that way because I mean, <laughs> go ahead, Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. So, point of application, and that is one of the questions on number four. You don't have to answer it out loud, but I do want you to think about it. What bad things are your kids learning from you? Positively, what good things are they learning from you? So we want to answer that one out loud, but that's something to think about, because sometimes we get frustrated at our kids we're doing things that are the same things that we do, we just don't realize that we do them. Good or bad. Um, and sometimes we're blind to the fact that one of our kids may be more like us and one of them may be more like our, the other parent. And that can be a good or a bad thing in this story, it's a bad thing. So just, just something to pause and think about for a moment. Moving on to number six, I want us to think about the consequences of all of this. Like I said at the end, Isaac did what was right in chapter 28. He blessed Jacob, passing on to him the inheritance of Abraham, all the promises associated with it, children, land, all of those sorts of things. He did what was right. But think about how the story ends. What are some of the consequences of the way that they've all acted in this Section. Where, where's Jacob going now?
2: Yeah. yeah. Right.
0: Good. And we tend to forget that there's actually five characters in this story, right? Who's the fifth character? God. Okay. Uh, what are some of the bad things that end up in the story, Braden? Possibly, yeah. I mean, it does seem that he's actually doing what he's supposed to do at that point, but we do have to wonder what was going through his heart and mind, because he really wanted, it seems, Esau to be the one that was blessed. I don't know. Yeah. Right. And we could make a statement, something like, the more you try to hold on to things, the more you lose them. But that's not really the point, is it? It's the more that you try to make life work your way instead of following God's will, things don't work out. You know? And we think we're going to achieve security in some way by bending circumstances to our will, but it's not really up to us. It's not in our control. Which comes back to that whole tension of, should I just sort of wait and let God work everything out? No, there's things God's clearly told us to do. But the problem wasn't that they were uh, sitting around waiting for God to do something. The problem was they were doing a bunch of wrong things as they anticipated what God was going to do. So, uh, as, we, as we sort of wrap up here, are there any other questions or thoughts from this chapter, or this section? want to ask you again then the questions from this morning. What is it, or maybe several things, that you may be loving wrongly? They could be good things, you know? There's nothing wrong with loving to read. There's nothing wrong inherently with playing a game on the computer. There's nothing inherently wrong with spending time outside or working or um, doing things with friends. None of those things in and of themselves are wrong per se. But they can become wrong when they become the most important thing to us. And when, particularly, we start using people around us to make that thing happen more the way that we want. Nothing wrong with Isaac liking a particular type of food but instead of serving and teaching and working with his sons, he uses his son to feed his physical desire. And that's clearly wrong. And we can do the same thing. If we pursue that second question in the application section, sinful desires and show favoritism, it's going to lead to jealousy. If I pick Brayden, and I say, Braden, you like to do something on the computer with me and Maggie doesn't like to do it, and I spend four hours a night doing it just with Braden. Maggie gonna feel like I care about her and love her? No. We can start acting those sorts of ways and not realize it. And it, it's not necessarily like set a timer You get 20 minutes, you get 20 minutes, you get 20 minutes, you get 20 minutes. Although, if it's been four hours and nothing, maybe that's a starting point. But, both in our families and in our broader church family, we need to choose to minister to those that God has put around us with some measure of fairness, equality, something like that. Because ultimately, it's not about whether this person helps me feel a certain way or accomplish a particular goal, or those sorts of things. It's about what can God do through me for that person? And uh, we tend to have it backwards. We tend to think, well, this person can give me this, and I can get something this way, so then I'm going to do something with them. We should be thinking, what can I give to that person of my time, of myself, of all of these other sorts of things? Then the last thing, uh, just flip over to Hebrews 12 real quick. Pause here and and, and wrap up. Just a a passage I want to leave you with. In the context of Jesus being our example and the discipline of God the Father, the author of Hebrews admonishes those that that are being the audience, verse 12. "...strengthen the hands, therefore, that are weak, and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal." For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. We have responsibilities toward one another as Christians. We have a responsibility to watch out for one another. And even though the phrases are not necessarily one leading to the other, I don't think it was by accident that the author put the thing about watch out for bitterness and don't be godless like Esau right next to each other. Because both things are true of him, right? Even though it emphasizes his godlessness. There's bitterness. There is godlessness, not valuing eternal things, valuing temporary things. And there is the solemn warning in verse 17. Esau, to some degree, wanted to make a different choice. And was not able to. And that should cause us to stop and and be warned. Because we have this idea that, that God is just always going to be there ready to forgive. And there's clearly places in scripture when God says no. Like people say, I shouldn't have done this. And God says, it's too late. I'm not saying that's true for God's people, but it's possible for someone to think, I'm a Christian, and to keep living in sinful ways, and to think, well, Jesus has paid for the sins, so it's okay, and there come a point where God says, you don't belong to me, and there is not forgiveness for you, you are not one of my people. Uh, Think about for example in Matthew where Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats or some of the other instances where uh, The people of Israel kept saying well, we repent we repent we repent But they kept sinning and God says the day of judgment's coming and even though there were people that Interceded for the nation at that point the conquering nations were coming and there was nothing even for someone like Isaiah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets they still couldn't turn away God's judgment And we set that in light of what he says in the end of Hebrews 12. And I'll just finish reading with these verses. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged no further word, be spoken to them. This is speaking of the Israelites at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight, that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous make perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For of those who did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven." This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Don't be like Esau. Recognize that you as a Christian in this time and place have blessings far greater than the people of Israel who stood at the mountain and saw God's glory revealed in that way. The glory of God revealed in Christ is greater still. And if God held them accountable when they turned aside, how much more responsibility do we bear if we turn aside? And so we might be tempted to look at a story like the story of Esau here and the things that Isaac did wrong and, and sort of say, wow, that's really bad, and minimize things that might be going on in our hearts and lives with regard to sin. And the weight of this chapter would say, this is a serious thing. Make sure you're in Christ, and if you're in Christ, follow Him wholeheartedly. Don't be like Esau who cast it away for a temporary thing. And so I just wanted us to end there. Let's pray, and then we'll sing our closing song. Lord, when we consider where we are in terms of the truth that you have revealed to us in contrast to where these in the book of Genesis were, even later when your people were standing before you and you were giving the law and the, the glory and the amazing things that were there, and yet what you have given to us in Christ are, is even more amazing, and yet sometimes we treat these things gifts lightly. Paul said of the Israelites, they have the law and they have the prophets and they have the covenant and the blessings and all these sorts of things and they still rejected the Messiah. Lord, help us not to be like that, having all of these blessings and then casting them aside, finding out we do not really belong to you pursuing our own way in this world. Help us to see the destruction that sin brings into our lives, to be reminded once again of the need that we have for Christ to purge that sin from us. The book that we were looking at this afternoon, the deacons and I, the more that we consider Christ and who He is, the more that we consider His cross- and the cost of our salvation, the more we ought to see how despicable sin is in your sight. Whether it seems like a little thing, like I'm showing favoritism to this person, whether it seems like a little thing, like I'm not being entirely honest about this circumstance, whether it seems like a little thing, like I want to do my plan instead of God's, but just in this one thing, Lord, help us to see the seriousness of following you wholeheartedly, the seriousness of turning away from sin, the seriousness of you being an all-consuming fire, a God that we must show reverence to. Help us to do that even this week as we apply this passage and other truths that we are reminded of. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.